Welcome to a new episode of University College Utrecht Campus Chats. My name is Kim Zwitserloot. I'm one of the lecturers and tutors at University College Utrecht. I teach economics here. And I'm here today with Monica Barroso Silva da Cruz. Welcome, Monica. Hi, welcome, Kim. <laughs> Thank you. Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> you obviously also work at University College Utrecht. Um, what is your job here? What's your position? I'm a teacher and instructor, and I'm also a tutor since uh, January, so for a few months now. But yes, uh, so I accumulate both both jobs. Yeah, and you feel this chemistry, right? Yes, I think this this will be the start of a, a long conversation because I have different parts of my career, but my my main field at the moment is is chemistry. Yes. Okay. You were surprisingly difficult to find online, um, so I don't actually know that much about your background. So we're just going to go way back to high school. You're from Portugal. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> You're from Portugal originally, right? Yes. Yes. I was born in, in Portugal in a, a city called Coimbra. Some people know of it, some don't. Uh, but Coimbra is a small city, mostly known uh, for its very old university. Um, and so lots of historical references associated to it and even the history of the, of the country is, is uh, um, very much interconnected with the history of the university. So it, it's very, a, a very interesting city, a small one, uh, but I lived there most of my life until I was 21 more or less. So you also attended university in Coimbra? Exactly. So I studied there. Um, what did you study? Did yeah, I studied um, something called industrial chemistry. So, and that was a choice uh, because I was very interested in chemistry, but I knew that I wasn't at the time super interested in the very theoretical field. I was also interested in engineering aspects of chemistry. But I didn't want to do just the chemical engineering, so industrial chemistry or something that offered a little bit of both worlds. So I had more theoretical um, aspects of the science, but also the applied larger scale uh, um, elements of chemical engineering. So that's a mix. Yeah. And, and what exactly is industrial chemistry? What does it focus on in terms of topics? It was really that, that's what I was looking for. So it really had, so for example, the basic uh, um, basis of chemistry. So organic chemistry, analytical chemistry, theoretical chemistry, uh, all of that. But then um, it gave some elements of laboratory-based uh, um, applications. Uh, so for example, fluid dynamics, uh, um, chemical plant design, uh, uh, large-scale uh, uh, process design. So it really, it was a course, I think, at the time designed exactly for that, to, to, to give you both perspectives of a more micro scale of chemistry, what people usually associate to chemistry, right? You're in the lab, you have a, a little test tube or a, a little uh, beaker, you mix things and something comes out of that and it's all nice and cute. But then the other perspective, if you see a, a very large chemical uh, uh, plant, what's happening there and, and what goes in, what goes out and what is involved in that entire process. Okay. So, and that, that's a very specific choice already at a young age. Yeah. Right? So, so why chemistry? Was that always something you enjoyed? Did you have like a really great toy as a kid or something? Or <laughs> the story is funny, and I, I, I go back back there often nowadays because <clears throat> I didn't always want to be a chemist. But I think since I was fourteen, around that was a clear choice, and since I was very young, the one thing I always was fascinated by was understanding how things work mm -hmm. and building things. Yeah. And it still is to this day, I think my underlying motivation for anything I do, understand why. Yeah. To, to a very uh, um, 
almost obsessive point. Once I understand something, then it's fine. I can put it aside and I move on to the next thing. But I really need to, or, or I have really that curiosity of going deep in, in, in uh, um, getting the, the, the nuts and bolts <laughs> um, in my hand, ma making, making sure that I understand how everything is connected. So as a kid, I would unpick machines and, and, and open things up. So I was never very much into toys and dolls. But my mom always tells the story that I would actually take dolls apart okay. <laughs> to, to see how they, they were working. Yeah. So that was the thing. And, and chemistry, I think, <clears throat> appeared like my, even before I had chemistry in high school, but both my parents are in science, both of them are biologists. And with both of them, I had access to labs. So the concept of a lab where you do experiments and you, you, you see things happening and understand things <clears throat> by doing, it was very natural for me. Um, so chemistry appeared, I think, because I was more fascinated about how different things happen, how color, mm -hmm. smell, for a long time, I was very interested in, in perfumes, what mm -hmm. makes something smell something and the other thing smells so differently. And, and so naturally, yeah, chemistry just was the vehicle for that. And if you, um, because yeah, my own background is in economics and chemistry is mm -hmm. always something, I think I had maybe one year in high school and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so if you're talking to someone who knows nothing about chemistry, mm -hmm. um, what would be a topic that could be really accessible to them, but also make them interesting, interested in it. Is there anything you can think of? For instance, what you mentioned about the perfumes, like what gives something mm. its smell? How does that yeah. work? Well, I think that's the part, that, that's really, really funny. Uh, but that's, I think, the part that most people also will associate with chemistry, and that would be organic chemistry, right? So, so you have all these uh, uh, molecules that have particular uh, we call functional groups, but particular bonds between uh, uh, specific sets of, of atoms and different assemblies of these atoms and, and bonds create these functional groups that have characteristic smells. And when you mix and match different groups, you have these mix and match of, uh, of smells. So I think that's something that many people are curious about. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a very common uh, um, entry point. I think color for me is also another one, like why things have different colors and why do you see colors in different ways? Uh, uh, and that's actually the area that I then specialized in, which is called photochemistry. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that's probably also a very interesting uh, um, entry in, in uh, um, question. I think, I think it all starts with the question, right? Yeah why this or i want to yeah. do to achieve that that result how do i get there yeah um so i'd say that either organic chemistry or physical chemistry yeah. and and then those things are are or those areas are perhaps the most accessible yeah but it varies a lot yeah so how, how does it work if you're talking about colors you mentioned that your own yeah. background as well so um, what kind of topics should I think about them? Is it almost like how colors are created or how we perceive them? Or do, do you mean what am I interested in my research or what I was interested in my research or what would people uh, uh, yeah, be so interested you, in? If you would indeed explain that to people, how, how would you explain that, your own research? Right. Okay. So my research is indirectly related to color, but... Um, what I focused on, and this is later, so I did I did many things, but what I focused on was actually on solar energy conversion. So indirectly is related to color because it's focused uh, or based around capturing sunlight. Yeah. And and, and sunlight is energy. Yeah. Right? So so it's a it's a form of energy which we can visually detect. Um, the visible part at least. Um, and by using that energy to our uh, uh, advantage, we can either make electricity, and that's what 
people are most familiar with, right? With solar cells, and nowadays that's something that's uh, uh, well incorporated in our everyday lives, right? Everybody knows photovoltaic cells and, and uh, um, um, that form of electricity. Uh, and what I focused on was using uh, solar energy to generate fuels. Yeah. So to do what's called uh, um, solar water splitting or in a more technical mm -hmm. way, photoelectrochemical water splitting. Yeah. So the idea in, in what, where I started this research was um, to use sunlight, to use semiconductor materials, which absorb that light and use yeah. that energy to produce that chemical reaction, which is water splitting. And so they're generating oxygen and hydrogen and hydrogen is that molecule that can replace, for example, gasoline for transportation, right? But of course, it's a complex process mm -hmm. that I'm simplifying it uh, uh, very much, but, but that simple step of getting that right form of energy and right amount of energy that will then lead to a cascade of reactions that will then effectively produce that fuel that that it's a little bit complicated and i focus in, i focus on studying that yeah okay so also again a little bit more that applied side as well yes and it's both right it's because yeah. i focus a lot on the very fundamental aspects of it mm -hmm. knowing where the energy comes from where the electrons that are generated go to how is the material uh, that we produce so that that's actually rust we're using iron oxide mm -hmm. or hematite which is usually known as rust but we're making it in the lab on a nano scale in a way wow. that is yeah more more uh, um effective in 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 uh, leading to that cascade of reactions but I was looking at that from a very fundamental aspect, so measuring rates of reactions, uh, uh, looking at how, for example, modifications of those materials would modifi modify mm -hmm. the efficiency of the process and so on. And then, yeah, trying to build large-scale prototypes of those mini solar cells and test them to see if as you, as you go one step in this scale of size what do you lose in that yeah. process right and can you translate this micro fundamental level of understanding into uh, actual applicable technology yeah. right yeah. so it, it's a, a huge step yeah if we're going to use this on a larger scale how will that change things exactly and what do you need to do to to make sure that it works and it mm -hmm. keeps working for yeah. 10 years yeah. whatever time it's it's economically and practically viable for technology to yeah yeah and that's because it sounds like a topic that's not necessarily something you would study in academia right i imagine you could also do this kind of work in a company producing solar panels yes yeah and and the thing is for example the technology for what we call solar panels, but yeah. it's photovoltaic uh, solar panels, is mature, um, especially the silicon uh, um, photovoltaic panels. Uh, and they're on the background, in the backstage. There's a lot of uh, um, academic base, essentially academic base research looking for example at other materials that replace, can replace silicon or can be more effective than silicon when you think of photoelectrochemical water splitting um, the challenges are a little bit uh, uh, higher the process is a little bit more complicated and so the technology itself is not as mature yeah and so of course on a company on an industrial uh, uh, um, level Perhaps the return of that research is not uh, um, uh, um, as appealing yet. So mm -hmm. most of that research is indeed uh, mostly academically uh, um, driven. Yeah. And there are some spin-off companies now uh, uh, built around that, but, yeah. but it's still a few steps behind uh, yeah. uh, photovoltaic research. Yeah. So yes, it's very much academic still.
it's still very okay so to yeah. go back a few steps because that yeah. sounds like uh -huh. sort of um what appealed to you to choose industrial design when you were going to university originally that appeal is still there so that combination of sort of the essential research but also looking at okay well what can we do with this the applied part um but you're not an industrial design anymore right and you mentioned earlier it's a bit complicated what i'm industrial design industrial chemistry i should say chemistry, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so, so when you went to university and you studied industrial chemistry, what was that experience like? Was it what you imagined it to be? It, it was. I, I don't think I had a, an incredibly clear idea of what I wanted. So I was never, I still am not, a, a, a big planner. So mm -hmm. I never had, like, I have this very clear idea of what I want to do, where I want to be, and what I expect from this course. I knew what I liked, and I built my, my path around that. So I was very open. I knew I liked this topic, I liked that topic, but I also liked architecture. And so at some point I thought, am I going to choose this or that? And then so chemistry won, but it could have been something else. So I really enjoyed the course. I, I like things that I didn't think I would like. So actually the, the larger scale uh, chemical engineering side of things was at the end not so much something that I, I uh, um, saw myself doing, um, but actually liked, for example, physics, the more theoretical aspects that I didn't expect to like so much, I really liked them. So that meant that when I did my, my bachelor's thesis, I went very fundamental and I was studying a, a very specific uh, a type of reaction and going, uh, um, uh, my research focused on, on really understanding how those specific steps worked. Yeah. I did my Erasmus project in Leuven uh, oh, in, nice. in Belgium. Yeah. yeah. And that's where I also started going more into photochemistry so working with lasers and looking at very fast reactions reactions that happens that happen on the nanoscale so that's a nanosecond scale so that's a, a billionth of a second in the processes that are very very fast mm -hmm. um so that that's very fundamental right that that's very uh, um not immediately links to an application yeah. right but of course it is indirectly aiming at yeah. understanding something exactly it's again about applied. trying to understand the world basically absolutely absolutely and you mentioned because you were also looking at architecture and other things so how did chemistry win because a lot of our students are of course in that position they have to make choices about majors yeah. about what direction to go in uh, what was it like for you how how did it end up being industrial chemistry and not architecture I think it was by exclusion. I okay. thought at the time I felt very uh, um, unsure of my ability to draw things. I can't draw a straight line to, to save my life. <laughs> yeah, and I thought this might. Everybody told me, ah, you don't have to, you don't have to know to draw. But I thought mm, it's it's probably something that will be a challenge for me. So I really went uh, for the path that I felt a little bit more comfortable mm -hmm. with or on yeah. my in terms of my skills, right? And the skills yeah. I knew I had. Uh, so I thought, well, I, at this moment, I can only choose one thing. I'll choose something that I think it's feasible and, and, and that I can succeed at. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's we're young at that time also. It's 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 I can very much understand the struggles that students uh, go through because you have to make choices that will impact your your life and and perhaps not ready to make those choices probably and you don't have enough information neither about exactly you nor yourself often to to make that proper choice yeah exactly you uh you mentioned Leuven did you spend an exchange yeah. semester there yes exactly yes so what so this was yeah because what was it? Like? You've been in Portugal your whole life, and then you go exactly. to Belgium for one semester. That must have been a culture shock. Yes, it was. It was very interesting. So indeed, it was the first time I left Portugal. I left on my own. This was twenty years ago. So mm -hmm. times were different, right? I, I wasn't going back home 
uh, every time there was no easy jet or right at the time that, that you just take so you go and then you're back at the end of the process um but i loved it it was also my first experience with an international community because back then portugal also didn't have many uh, uh or I wouldn't say Portugal, but essentially Coimbra didn't have a huge international community. Mm -hmm. uh, so most of my colleagues were Portuguese and that's what I knew, right? Yeah. So this was my first experience working with Romanian, American, Brazilian, Belgian, yeah. Dutch, French, so Chinese, Japanese. And so for me, it was, it was amazing, it was discovering this new world that I, I, I really didn't know, you know? So I loved it, yes. Yeah. And do you remember, um, yeah, how do I phrase that question? Uh, what excited you about that? Like you were working with all these people from all over the world. Is there, yeah, because I remember from my own exchange, mm -hmm. and this to some degree already happened when I went to university, but especially when I went on exchange, I did mine in Mexico City. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> you just become aware of there are different ways of living. Yes. Not better, they're not worse, they're just different. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it's very obvious, like what time do you eat and what do you eat? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a lot more subtle in terms of how do you communicate and things like that. Yes. I think I, I had exactly the, those two experiences. I, I remember them very well. So, for example, for me, food and timing in the day uh, when <laughs> yes. you do things was was a very big difference so first of all i hated the food <laughs> coming from portugal and going to belgium was like oh my god but I, i'm also very adaptable and very flexible so i thought i just accepted that and that's that was fine but i acknowledge <laughs> i acknowledge exactly <laughs> i acknowledge the differences and embrace the, the challenge so that was fine and then indeed that idea of like you're having dinner at six in Portugal. I was in summer. I'm having dinner at ten, and that—that's my my clock is uh, uh, organized yeah. around that. But I actually love that. So this meant that I was starting work, I guess, at eight. Mm -hmm. By six, my day was mostly done. We'd have yeah. dinner together, and then we'd go out. So there's yeah. this little international club. There was Pangaea, where we'd all meet up all the international students but also some locals with play games listen to music with even go out go to a bar disco i, I discovered jazz then uh, <laughs> yeah. you know and by midnight the latest my night was was done i would still be able to go back have a complete night sleep and mm -hmm. the next day i would i would be back at work and in that worked amazingly well so that for me was was a newfound way of managing my day because uh, things get very late in portugal right it start the night at midnight yeah. so that's not compatible yeah with the working life yeah that's so that that was there were lots of positive uh, um discoveries and and, and um, yeah really enjoy that so it was both sort of the academic that it really allowed you to delve deeper into what you really enjoyed, but also sort of the personal where your world was open yeah. in many ways. I would even say mostly the personal, of course, yeah. because that's a very yeah. important phase of your life where you're discovering Absolutely. the world. Yeah. 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 And then you went back to Portugal. Um, yes. And you graduated university there. Yes. And what came next? My PhD. Okay. So that was the first choice I had to make. So when I finished the, the, um, my project in Leuven, um, I hadn't graduated then, but I was like six months into, I had six months uh, uh, left. And back then they asked me, well, would you be interested in doing your PhD here? And, and oh, I was, I was afraid. I have to say I was, um, I, not not super comfortable with with uh, the idea and i went back to to coimbra and said hey this happened they offered me a phd position i don't know what to do and back then my my professor said well you can also do your phd here yeah. um and so i ended up doing my phd uh, uh, in portugal the same group that i was already studying in uh, and it was very nice yeah well, but yes 
so that was uh, uh, in the, the field of photochemistry, and it's very, very, uh, um, I guess now an appealing title, but I was studying atom and proton transfer, transfer reactions in gas phase, liquids, and complex medium. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so if you say it like that, you have no idea what that means. No, but um, <laughs> Exactly. So I was really looking at, um, in, in a very simplified way, whether with experiments and theoretical models, I was also developing computational models, we could predict how fast certain reactions would happen. And these are very simple reactions, like yeah. how an atom transfers from one bond to another, or how, if that atom is specifically an hydrogen, that's kind of a proton transfer reaction. It's a little bit more complex than that, but it doesn't matter. How that reaction is affected by the molecular environment, the medium, whether you're in the gas phase or you're either in a liquid or in a protein, that that was like the complex case. And so I was doing experiments mm -hmm. with lasers and looking at these very fast reactions and then looking at how can we theoretically model all of this ex experimental data that we have to build a framework that explains and predicts how these things happen. And yeah. so, yeah, that, that was the more fundamental yeah. side of things. Yeah. And, and did you, um, did you manage <laughs> Did you manage to build a, a framework? Cause that's always, I mean, you never really know, right? I mean, that's the point of science. Yes. Yeah. So of course it's a theoretical model. There's always something to be said about how, uh, um, generalizable it is mm -hmm. and what the limitations are, but yes, yeah. we managed to, to, to come to a place where we, in a simplified way, could explain if this is the starting point, the rate of this reaction will be that because of yeah, because of the nature of the bonds that are involved, because of the nature of the medium and all of that. So yes, that that it was possible to establish a, um, a very simplified uh, a theoretical framework that allowed us to predict some of those uh, very simple reactions yeah and in what ways could that be used because you mentioned it's theoretical but i imagine it's input for more <clears throat> use as well yes and so it that is not something that you can for example immediately translate in a mm -hmm. chemical process larger scale chemical process but I, i'll i'll tell you how i translated that into my next step because that's what yeah. i took me into the solar fuels research because essentially underlying what I was studying next uh, are very fast electron and proton transfer steps that are involved in that water splitting reaction. So it's called yeah. proton coupled electron transfer reaction. So these are very complex concerted uh, steps that I was studying, for example, in enzymes <clears throat> and that we're trying to mimic in this types of solar cells yeah right so understand the fundamental understanding that i had about those groups of reactions that i was studied studying was actually then used in trying to develop these systems uh where those little reactions were in somehow a, a, a key yeah. that water splitting process right so it's not a direct translation but it's one step uh, 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 in into that more complex application, let's say. Okay, and because you did your PhD in Portugal, um, yeah, and afterwards, I went to Switzerland, right? So I went to Lausanne to EPFL, <clears throat> and I I went to work in the group of Michael Gratzel, which you know most people know uh, because he's the father of the dye-sensitized solar cells. Okay. Uh, so these are photovoltaic solar cells, but not silicon-based. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, the solar panels that you know are those silicon ones that you see on either on, on rooftops or in a large uh, uh, solar uh, PV uh, power plant. But sometimes you see these colored windows, which yeah. are photovoltaic mm -hmm. yeah. also. So typically those are dye-sensitized solar cells. And yeah. I was working in the group of the person that may essentially invented them. 
Yeah. Um, but I was not working, or I did some work on disensitized solar cells, but I was mostly working in this solar water splitting side of the group. So yeah. it was, again, fascinating uh, um, experience. So that was my first postdoc. It's funny because I know, um, are you familiar with Sustainer Homes? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's a company started by some of our alumni where they basically uh, okay. houses that are fully self-sustaining. And one of the uh -huh. elements is indeed that in the windows there are solar cells. So that right. might be the same, um, yeah, what you worked on basically. Most likely, yes. Most likely that type. Yeah, yeah, Because those, uh, it, then of course there are variations on that uh, instead of dye, dye titanium. That was the basis of those cells. Now that you have other types of organic uh, yeah. uh, solar cells, but the, the principle is the same, yeah. right? That you have some chromophore, some, some species that absorbs light and is colored depending mm -hmm. on what portion of the light it is using. Um, and then a, a, a sequence of layers of other materials that are responsible for the subsequent steps yeah. in that process of translating light into electrons flowing yeah. in a in a circuit yeah so yes yeah, so that that was the the experience in in lausanne i lived there for uh two years and that mm -hmm. during that, that postdoc uh, it was really nice i learned a lot because of course then i went beyond just the simple chemistry that i used yeah. to i learned about materials science so i was actually synthesizing this this uh, uh, nanostructured mm -hmm. films. I was making nano-sized rust. Um, I was doing a lot of microscopy, electrochemistry, so areas that I had never studied before, but that are necessary. Uh, uh, so it's very interdisciplinary uh, yeah. uh, field, actually. So it was a huge learning experience and, and, and really, really nice. Yeah. And then you went to afterwards because you were in Switzerland for two years. And of course, the way that academic careers work, you often have to. Exactly. And you, you, you follow the projects and you yeah. follow the research. Yeah. So I went to, to London. I went to Imperial College. Mm -hmm. So um, still working in the same area. So still looking at solar fuels, stepping the game up a little bit because yeah. we're working on solar water splitting, but also thinking if we can do this we can also perhaps do something which is slightly more complex but it's called artificial photosynthesis so instead of taking water splitting water into oxygen and hydrogen what if you take co2 yeah and water yeah like plants do uh part of the process is indeed to split water into oxygen and hydrogen but in this case you have protons not not yeah. hydrogen the molecule in in in, uh, uh, in its molecular form and then use those protons and electrons generated in the process and you convert co2 into a hydrocarbon yeah plants make a hydrocarbon that they need to to survive is their fuel we can make an hydrocarbon that is our fuel equivalent, for example, uh, uh, you can synthesize methane or methanol, and then you can use these to drive your car, but also as uh, um, valuable chemicals for chemical industry and so on, right? Yeah. So, so, of course, it's way more complex than just splitting water, but I, I think it's the holy grail of renewable, yeah. uh, um, renewable energy in this in this sense in, in terms of generating alternative fuels right non-fossil fuels yeah because if you look at the situation right now in the world i mean we're all of course more than ever there is really an incentive to start using uh renewables uh, obviously with the situation that's going on in the ukraine and everything and the dependence that we Indeed. have on oil um do you think it's realistic to move over to renewables on, on a large scale in, in a short period of time? Where do we stand on oh. that? So, yes, I was going to say yes, and then you said the short time scale. And, mm. <laughs> well, so, so, yeah. The renewables, yes, and in some, some renewables are already there, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Renewable electricity, that's something that we use already and, and 
it's really nice to see how much of solar energy and wind energy um even you know uh, um hydro based uh, uh, electricity how much of that is in our in our uh, um, everyday lives already uh, renewable fuels is a little bit more challenging right um and especially this type of renewable fuel generation that i'm talking about is direct conversion of solar energy into into renewable fuels because there's still many pieces of the puzzle that have not been figured out yet and the scaling up is mm -hmm. still challenging so i think we're still not there uh, might take uh maybe a decade or so i don't know i'm uh, but maybe maybe at least a decade or so until we see something yeah. able to generate a, a renewable fuel on a large scale directly from from solar uh, energy but we have indirect ways of doing that which are i think we are much closer to that there are already uh, um, more niche uh, areas where this is already implemented where you use renewable electricity to uh, do water electrolysis right yeah. to, to promote water electrolysis and then generate hydrogen with that so that's the blue hydrogen yeah side of things and there's already some uh, interesting developments on in terms of doing that also with co2 conversion right yeah. so using renewable electricity to drive the conversion of co2 into valuable chemicals and and, and things that we can use as a fuel uh, for yeah. transportation for example okay so it's it's a mixed answer yeah. It's yes, but <laughs> yeah, some things, yes, some things need more time. Indeed. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now you're at University College Utrecht, obviously. Uh -huh. um, if I understand correctly, up until now, it was mainly that your career was focused on research. And yes. University College Utrecht, of course, is predominantly a teaching college. Uh -huh. um, and now you have the tutoring uh, as well, of course. There is time for research, obviously, but it's not the focus, uh, I think, for most of our employees. How has that been for you? Was it a conscious decision to, to move away from the research and more towards teaching? Uh, no, and there's a step in, 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 in this story that, that we didn't get to, but I, I, it makes sense here. So around five years, it, it's five years ago now, yeah. um, I was at the point where I was actively doing this this uh, uh, research already uh, in Utrecht. I was at the Utrecht University already. Um, and I was starting to feel that my expertise, what I was uh, uh, doing in terms of my research was not really, I didn't feel like I was able to contribute much more to develop to the development of these systems, that that's the steps that were necessary, for example, in a more uh, technologically and more engineering side of things so how to make these cells uh, uh, larger and and test them in a prototype phase i couldn't i couldn't contribute much more there um, the group where i was is is very good in heterogeneous catalysis but i didn't see myself fitting there very much so i was at this point in i think in in many of our careers where i think Hmm. This is a time that I would like to uh, test something different, right? Yeah. So I think many people either focus a lot on their uh, um, area of expertise and do a sabbatical. It's their time yeah. to to write a book, focus on their research, uh, uh, or try something new. And I thought, well, this is the time that I can use to try something new. So I did something that is not, how to say, a, 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 um, very typical in academic career which was take a step back and i was also very interested in understanding uh, uh, biological processes more health related aspects of uh, uh, um, our functioning and i was very interested not from an academic perspective in the role of food and nutrition in several aspects so why yeah what what so it's completely different from my research, but I thought, okay, this is the time to go for it. Yeah. So I did a, a specialization. So I went back to school, um, a very uh, um, uh, 
I just say that I, I fast forward <laughs> some, mm -hmm. some steps and I did a deep dive in the health science and, and uh, nutrition in health. Um, and that took me to epidemiology, nutritional epidemiology. So actually, the focus of my research in the last five years has been in nutritional epidemiology. Ah, very it's different, yeah. <laughs> very different. Uh, and I focused, uh, I've been trying to understand a lot of the mechanistic aspects mm -hmm. of uh, um, some uh, 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 related aspects of uh, um, our food plays a role in health and then I focused on uh, autoimmune diseases and more recently on the intestinal the gut microbiome yeah and how the different things are related so there is still that underlying uh, motivation of understanding how things work why things work yeah. in a certain way and some chemical processes but in this case more metabolic yeah uh, 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 type processes yes. um so yes so when the opportunity to come back to uh, um, utrecht but now at university mm -hmm. college came by and it was uh, unexpected i was at that point there was i was thinking actually i just want to focus on research because i was also yeah. teaching at Leiden university college at the time and i was thinking i don't have time to do both but because uh, the opportunity of combining epidemiology, my interest for food studies and chemistry and sustainability was actually uh, um, offered to me. I mean, you can do a little bit of everything. I embraced the challenge. Um, and so I do a little bit of research in, in uh, um, nutritional epidemiology most. Um, and in that work, I'm uh, still affiliated with uh, Erasmus MC in Rotterdam. Uh, and then I teach chemistry and then I teach sustainability. Yeah. And so I bring all of my academically yeah. uh, um, related interests together. Yeah. And I really, really like that. Yeah. Where did that switch come from? Because that's those are very different topics. Was there anything in particular from your own life or, or those around you that made you interested in nutrition? That's a very interesting question. So I think personally, I always, or, or perhaps more recently, but last 10, 15 years, I was always very curious about food. And, and I dabbled with vegetarianism, veganism, what makes sense and why, what's healthy, what yeah. is not, and what if, does it even mean to be healthy? Because for some people, something works, some, something doesn't, and why? But I think trigger, and this was, you know, serendipity played yeah. a lot of, uh, uh, played an important role in many aspects of my life. So my sister, she was diagnosed with one autoimmune disease, mm -hmm. uh, uh, pretty much around the time where I was thinking I want to to study more of nutrition. Yeah. Um, and this this uh, um, many autoimmune diseases are. Uh, uh, a very strong link with nutrition or yeah. they can be managed in some way uh, by certain uh, uh, nutritional choices and so again my 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 brain starting started thinking why and i wish i could explain why and i wish if there's a a, a, a food link there yeah. that we can use it and we can actually If not cure, so, so that's a very, a very uh, a strong word, but at least manage some of these uh, uh, um, processes in our bodies, then, then that's an incredible tool to have, yeah. right? That, that, that you can just some control make. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's one of those modifiable environmental factors that you can yeah. control. So yeah, so that was like the, the reason that made me really uh, when it was time to, to yeah. choose a project or a uh, to choose an area of specialization. I thought I want to understand autoimmune diseases. Yeah. I want to understand how food and immune yeah. system and genetics and all of that yeah. plays a role. And 
and so I, I actually was working on, and, and still am in, in a way, working on celiac disease, right? Yeah. So, so mm -hmm. yeah. gluten-related yeah. uh, um, immune processes. Yeah. Okay. And what's been, um, based on what, what you've learned over the last few years, what's like the mm -hmm. biggest change that people can make uh, to improve their health when it comes to nutrition? Uh -huh. Okay, so I'm not a nutritionist or, or a dietitian oh, okay. or... Yeah anything like that so it's not so much uh, a mm -hmm. form of advice but i think what's very clear um uh, it's that indeed reducing uh, um, animal based products and i i don't say just you don't touch them but reducing yeah uh, uh, red meat consumption processed mm -hmm. uh, uh foods that for me would be the the, the critical yeah. change that that uh, uh people should, should really uh, uh, um, assimilate, right? Yeah. So animal-based products and processed foods are well, uh, 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 how to say this, there's very strong scientific evidence to link those two types of uh, mm -hmm. uh, foodstuffs to many uh, um, disease processes, be it, uh, cardiovascular problems, uh, it's uh, uh, obesity, um, you know, metabolic syndrome. Yeah. Um, so more plant-based, mm -hmm. more fiber, yeah. uh, diversity, very uh, variety within yeah. your, your food choices. Um, and then I, I think that then, then people are free to, to, to play with their, with their preferences, yeah. you know, so th those are the, the, the key aspects. Yeah. And I think it's common knowledge already, but yeah. it's scientifically, factually uh, 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 shown to be the case, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go to the last few questions then. Okay. How has it been at UCU? Because you've been here now for, you've been a tutor for six months, I think, five, four mm -hmm. months. Uh, but you were here teaching before already, of course. Um, it's, it's, I started this, um this academic year right so i started in august uh yeah. so it's it's been great i had taught in uh ucu before so between yeah. 2013 and 2016 mm -hmm. but that, back then i was external right i was working yeah. at, at yeah. u and coming uh, to, to ucu just to teach a couple of courses yeah. so i was very disconnected in a way to what life uh, uh, in UCU is and so this new experience has been incredible for many many different uh, uh, um, for many different reasons but I'd say mostly because I get a much better understanding of who the students are where they yeah. come from what their life is at UCU, but why they ended up choosing UCU, yeah. what their motivations are, what their dreams are, what the challenges are, right? Yeah. So, so that's very clear for me now. And, and being a tutor also, that, that yeah. really that helps me understand. Yeah. yeah. You really understand, you know, the, all the struggles, all the, the, the discoveries, right? The, the, yeah. the, the, the series of first yeah. experiences that that students are are going through um so, so that's been super rich as an experience and as even for me as as um um both personally and, and professionally it's been a growth uh, experience there are lots of things that i didn't know that i've learned in 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 this few months year yeah uh, so yes i'm i'm very very uh, happy yeah. and do you have anything particular in mind then when you say you've learned uh, a few things um let me think i think i think my contact with the students changed a lot of course yeah. because now i see them more as well I, i'm not going to say as people right but but less see as this person you not just see their this part of them that's a student absolutely you're not you you don't have just this teacher-student relationship, yeah. I give you the content content that you need to know and then class ends and we yeah. go our, our separate ways. No, there's now a, a much more 
personal uh, um, connection. I understand where they come from, what their interests are, and then I can, as a teacher, also uh, um, adapt and, and, and I think be a better teacher because of that. Yeah. And the other aspect is is actually uh, uh, the colleagues mm -hmm. and in the, the very interdisciplinary uh, um, context, right? So the liberal arts and science really makes it uh, um, so much more, uh, uh, so much richer, so much more uh, rich experience, right? Because there are things that I previously in my academic uh, uh, work that I was never exposed to. I wouldn't talk to an economist and to a, a, um, a psychologist and, you know, and to a, a historian. In, in just having those conversations and, and knowing what other people are doing, what, what their research is about, I'm learning every day. And, and I, I love learning. I always yeah. did. So, so for me, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great place to be if you're curious about the world and, and different perspectives, yeah. both as a student, Absolutely. but also as an employee, for sure. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's been great. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> any mm. any final thing you would like to share? Um, I don't know. I think I talked about most of the things, but I think not as an advice, but I think as, as a personal mm -hmm. experience, I think what I would tell students is to embrace the challenges because sometimes challenges well most of the times but challenges are opportunities right so sometimes we're not necessarily prepared to take a certain step mm -hmm. follow a certain path but things happen opportunities are presented and you might have to deviate from an initial plan but yeah. see that as a positive uh, um, event and in uh, uh, an, an occasion for uh, uh, exploring the world, exploring different opportunities. So instead of being scared, um, if something different happens that than uh, what you planned, just be brave and, and take the challenge. Yeah. See it as an adventure as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. That was great oh, advice to end on. Oh, thank you so much. And, and thank you for inviting me. This has been a very, very nice uh, um, conversation, but also I always like to reflect back on, on choices and, and life and yeah, yeah, it was really nice. <laughs> and I think it's always good to hear as well, especially for students who may sometimes think mm -hmm. if I make this choice now i'm stuck with that for life is that that's rarely the case that you can still change direction later on absolutely change or yeah yeah especially nowadays i'd say like 20 years ago mm -hmm. it was perhaps much more challenging and much more uh, uh risky to say oh i'm now gonna change completely and just take, make this u-turn in my career and it all turn out fine mm -hmm. I, I that wouldn't be perhaps seen uh, um, as a very uh, uh, wise move but nowadays you can do almost literally everything and you can combine your skills and you can yeah. create your path yeah you know, uh, so use those those opportunities for sure, and be creative also in, in creating your your path. I think that's I'm life nowadays for students is challenging. Everything is very fast paced, mm -hmm. but I some I sometimes am jealous or envious for the many choices, many potential paths that that you can now take, and and so I think it's it's challenging but incredibly inspiring uh, yeah. um so yes <laughs> good thank you so much thank you kim <laughs>